It's 1902, and you're a teamster driving your team of oxen across the countryside. You've been hired to deliver cargo to a tailor in a neighboring town. You're running behind, though, as the person sending the fabric was late loading it. You're determined to get there on time, though, not just because you take pride in your work, but also because your employer threatened to dock your pay if you were late again. So you push your oxen to the limit. Suddenly, a wheel comes loose and your carriage crumbles. You fall to the ground, injuring your shoulder. The cargo spills out onto the dirt road and your oxen panic. Not only will you be on the hook for the repairs, but your employer will surely dock your pay. Of course, you don't think this is fair. The cargo will eventually get to its destination, but you're left in the cold because of factors outside of your control. Thankfully, you're not the only driver that feels this way. So you being punished doesn't seem reasonable. There have been similar grumblings from other Teamsters who aren't happy with the way their rich employers have been treating them. Because without them, their employers wouldn't be wealthy in the first place. Unions are meant to give a voice to the individual worker. And in the era of mass wealth and mass wealth inequality, the workers need a voice now more than ever. I'm Jacqueline Swan, and this is Technality, a podcast that explores how technology is shaping our lives and the future we're heading towards. And today, I'm looking at unionizing. And I've heard from many workers, many workers, I heard from employers, they say, well, if you have a problem at the workplace, I have an open door policy. Well, my experience is the door that they open is not the one to their office, it's the one outside and you're gone. This is Douglas Vinson. And I'm a national representative for Teamsters Canada. There's a chance you've heard the name Teamster before. They occasionally pop up in the news, but they're often referenced in shows. The Teamsters go to this Italian sandwich shop in Brooklyn. No one knows what it's called or where it is. It's a Teamster secret. The Teamsters Union was established in 1903 by Teamsters. The economy ran on their back, but they were treated rather poorly, seeing the least amount of return on their work. So the workers got together and demanded better. Because if an employer failed to listen to the changes the Teamsters wanted to see in their working conditions, the Teamsters would just need to stop. And that would stop the economy as a whole. Teamsters Canada is uh, part of the uh, International Brotherhood of Teamsters, which is a North American-wide organization. Mainly throughout the U.S. and Canada, uh, there are local unions. There's about 1.3 million workers in North America about 130,000 in in Canada, and we're connected with the United States for our overall large strength. Teamsters are a very large and a very strong union with a very diverse membership throughout all sorts of industries. But we virtually have hundreds of thousands of workers in the warehouse and delivery business. And so we're very interested and we're quite heavily vested in that particular industry. As Amazon adds tens of billions to their net worth, employees at the ground floor are left trying to make ends meet. And not only that, but these employees are often left working in poor conditions. For example, take this NBC Nightly News story. Amazon's work demands are ruining her life. It's been the ultimate nightmare. Ellen says she processed an average of 600 items an hour on the job here at a broken workstation that injured her back. Alan showed us documents and claims Amazon attempted to minimize her injury by not sending her to a doctor for weeks and not paying her during the dispute over her workers' compensation claim. We're out there speaking to workers at any location at Amazon. We will speak to any worker about their 
warehouse issues anyway, but specific to Amazon, we go out routinely from location by location, depending on where they are, and we'll engage them, talk to them. Some want to talk, some don't talk. Many don't have a lot of time, but many kind of follow up and we have great conversations about what they see and what their concerns are. Generally, what that does, it leads into talking about organizing and what can the union do. If they've never been involved in a union, they have a lot of questions they don't understand. Other workers who have been in a union, they have very specific questions about the Teamsters and, and how it relates to their jobs. And then we get into the card signing process. And if there's enough workers that sign cards, we file for an application at the relevant uh, labor board. And then that whole process kind of starts. Legally, companies have to allow their employees to vote to unionize without interfering. That means they can't intimidate employees or use propaganda to dissuade their choice. Of course, that's in a world where everyone follows the rules. And if a company doesn't want its employees to unionize because it doesn't want to improve the working conditions, they're probably not against breaking a few rules. Often there's resistance, some by employers, some get way assertive, just overreact, completely overreact, and while others are more are more systemic in what they say and, and what they do. But just to speak about the card signing process, you know, we're in a new age now. You don't have to take a piece of paper, stand out front of your employer and physically sign a document where the employer can watch you. You know, nowadays we have the electronic means. There's electronic cards that are accepted by the labor boards and you can sign a card at home. You don't have to admit to your employer and face the scrutiny of, a, of an aggressive employer. But in the cases where we, we do see aggressive employers, there are laws that are there to protect the workers. You do have the right to, in Canada to sign a union card and, and unionize without discrimination and without reactions from your employer. And so when we do see these uh, adverse reactions, and I'll just speak directly to Amazon just for a second. You know, we have managers, for example, managers come to workers and say, you better not be signing a union card because you're going to get fired. And of course, we all know that's illegal. But the worker, it's just a chance for uh, management through their lower level managers to, to put that fear into the worker. And they, they try other things too. They say, oh, the, the union is just here to take your money and uh, you won't make any more money and, and you'll lose. And that's just ridiculous. And our situation is the workers, they don't pay any money for union dues until the agreement has been negotiated and they've ratified that agreement. So they've chosen the terms and conditions and usually it's wage increase and there's other benefits. We also see employers in a lot of cases, low level managers that just don't understand. And they say, well, if you if you're going to go unionized, I'm going to lose my job. And that's just ridiculous. We don't affect supervisors or managers' jobs. But I think what they're really saying is the big boss is watching. And if I don't go out and do this, I'm going to face dismissal because part of my role is to keep the union out. And we just reassure people. We go speak to them at their homes or we'll meet in a, in a, in a public place. In the Teamsters case, we have a very large union that's well over 100 years old is very sophisticated in their process, uh, very solid and a well-established union. Uh, no one's going to in intimidate the uh, Teamsters Union.
If you don't know how Amazon rose to power, the TLDR is Bezos undercut the book selling industry. By operating out of his garage and selling books online, Bezos didn't need to pay for retail space. And because of this, he could sell books for less than what a bookstore could sell them for. Books can only be sold at 40% above the wholesale price. That's why you'll often see books on sale for 40%. The store is just trying to break even at what they bought the book at. Bezos, however, would constantly sell the books for 50% off. He was essentially paying to sell people these books. He was going for long-term growth by outselling his competitors. So while he operated at a loss, Amazon was able to outlast the brick and mortar stores because people were coming to him for the cheaper prices. Independent bookstores closed with big box stores following behind, and the ones that remain have shifted away from just selling books. And now Amazon is using the same undercutting tactics as it moves into delivery and warehouses. I think the best example that I've seen how Amazon undercuts the existing businesses in the communities in which they come into is probably more publicly obvious in the United States than it is in Canada. They go to the local governments or the state governments and they demand, they used to request and now they insist and to their point of demanding concessions on taxes on land abatements, on zoning changes. But what happens is in Canada, it's done more secretly. I know there's a big movement in Ontario, a fight about a rezoning. But in the U.S., the people in a nice acreage area just outside of a medium-sized city all of a sudden get a several hundred thousand foot warehouse plopped down in the middle because somebody has rezoned this pasture land. And now there's a major highway and, and three or four overpasses. and trucks coming in and out of there by the hundreds a day and it just destroys the unique aspect of their neighborhoods but what they're doing to the uh, warehouse industry in general they're undercutting the existing major warehouse and delivery businesses by a lot by undermining the the standards they're, they're going to steal work they're stealing work right now and we've read about the 125 percent turnover in, in workers well, that's for a reason. You know, workers just don't quit their jobs. It's because of the terms and conditions that they work under. When you undermine large industries like the warehouse and delivery, you know, there's uh, several hundred thousand UPS drivers in the United States that are delivering packages and represented by the Teamsters Union. Amazon wants to take that work and Amazon wants to eat their lunch. And they're going to do it, try and do it, under $17 or an hour or, or less. And they take advantage of the public money that's going to them, and they redirect their savings over into destroying well-paying, well-established large businesses in the, in the warehouse and delivery business. Amazon has stated that they want to take the delivery business away from the well-established, you know, UPS, Perlator, all these. They want to start delivering other people's packages, too. They're not... Uh, satisfied in, in delivering their own packages. They're going to undermine the existing businesses and try to take their lunch away from them. All the while, you know, they're taking public money, mostly through the U.S. I don't know how much public money's in Canada. But being the largest, one of the largest businesses in the world, you know, they have savings of scale. Why would we as a union want to see that undermine all those workers that fought so hard to get what they have why would we even want as a society to have a downward spiral on our, on our income and our, on our family status? Why would we want to see good jobs in our communities get diluted and watered down to where they're marginal at best? And so we have this conversation we're having now about the vast majority of the people in our communities instead of the minority. 
There are countless stories of the working conditions of Amazon employees out there. From being expected to meet impossible quotas, to peeing in bottles, to people being told to go back to work after a man dies of a heart attack on a warehouse floor. And this is something that the Teamsters want to help fix. There's a common theme about the pace of work and how hard the work is and unrelenting the pace of work is. Needless to say, there's a lot of stories about workers, for example, not getting benefits. And then we asked them, well, why aren't, why aren't you getting the healthcare benefits? Well, it's because my supervisor doesn't allow me to be a, considered a full-time worker. I work full-time hours. I've never missed a day and I work consistently and I work hard, but he, he or she will not mark me down as being a permanent worker. So I don't get healthcare benefits. Yet someone walks in off the street seven days after they started work, the supervisor or manager puts them on as a permanent worker and they get healthcare benefits. That is a big issue to people. That the underlying issue is the workers don't have a voice. If they were to unionize, they get a voice, a collective voice. And we would take their stories and we would go and get the facts and we would argue and debate and fix those problems. And in the long run, it would get fixed. And you wouldn't be stuck at $17 an hour and unfairly kept away from the benefit plan. You need a future. There has to be something. You have to be able to look down the road and say, okay, I'll work at 17 for so long, but then I get a series of incremental increases that's built into my contract. And that's what's important to workers. And it's also important to the union as an entity because we represent hundreds of thousands of workers in these industries. Amazon has come along and they're undermining the existing businesses. They're in with, not only do they have the magnitude of their operation, but they're undercutting the wages. There's lots of people that start out at $17 an hour, but they don't stay there very long. And in a union contract, they escalate up into the 30s. So you have $32, $34 an hour. Well, that is a living wage. And you put on top of that benefits, healthcare benefits and, and, a, and a pension. Now you're looking at a living wage for a family. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think there's any worker that's going to argue that they shouldn't be entitled to a fair wage like that. Before our call ended, I asked Doug if he had any thoughts about where he'd like to see the future go. People say if you want to fix the future, you have to know the past where you came from. And I think we have to respect the fact that since the 1980s until now, union density has gone down, union membership has gone down. And that's a concerted effort by a number of things. There's some government rules and regulations that have changed. There's a number of industries. But whatever those reasons are, the trajectory that workers are going on now has to stop. We have to slow that down to stop it and reverse it so that terms and conditions, of including wages and healthcare benefits, et cetera, they have to come back as being a focus. You know, uh, I didn't ever expect that at this day and age, we would see the importance, the reliance that families have on just a moderate healthcare plan. A hundred years ago, workers were fighting for not to not get injured and killed on the job, and we're still doing it. And it's still happening in places like Walmart at an excessive, unacceptably high, excessive amount. And when I talk to people that are that have just given up, they said, I used to work at Amazon. I got injured. The workers' compensation was a disaster. Not only was I fighting the employer, I was fighting workers' compensation. At the end of the day, I just walked away. And here I am, partially disabled, for what, a $17 an hour job? 
I mean, that's a terrible thing to look back and, and, and figure that, you know, now your, your health is affected potentially long-term and you did it for $17 an hour. The people we talk to at Amazon, many of them have such moderate expectations. They're not even reaching for the stars. They're just, they just want a medium of good treatment and respect in the workplace and a voice. We will give them a voice. And we will argue and fight and, and do whatever we have to do to address those and turn those jobs into better jobs, similarly to what we have at other locations where we represent workers. Unions used to be a strong feature in society, but over the years, they've fallen out of favor. Especially if you're from a younger generation, the idea of a union doesn't seem necessary for a number of internal and external factors that could be for another episode. Really though, unions seeming outdated used to be the vibe. But there's been a shift recently in what workers want to see from their workplaces. From Amazon warehouse workers to the coders themselves, unionization efforts against the retail titan have risen in the past few years. And this isn't the only multi-billion dollar company that has seen movements against it. Starbucks, Microsoft, Google, they've all experienced unionization efforts. And each company has used union-busting tactics to avoid their employees unionizing. But that spirit for a better workplace is still there. So as we move into an era of billionaires, mass wealth inequality, and pay not keeping up with inflation, we'll probably continue to see a push for more respect for workers. Because historically, something has always given. Thank you for listening to Technality. It's hosted and produced by me, Jacqueline Swan. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want more content about where our future is going, head over to Technality's YouTube page.